everybody. Welcome back. I'm Katie. And I'm Kate. And this is Pre-Meditated. <laughs> so good this time. I know. It gets better and better every time. We should make an album. Yeah. I forgot to tell you, I'm joining a choir. <gasps> Shut up. I am. A show choir. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yep, I'm pretty jazzed about it. Jazz. <laughs> Oh, my oh God. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. But anyway, so my voice will only get better, you know, as yes. as time goes on. As time podcast, goes on. So. I can't wait I to hear your pumped. stories. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us again and coming back for another tale. Kate's on deck tonight. We're going to uh, have what I'm sure will be a doozy. Oh. Hopefully it's not an unsolved one, Kate, because I'm... <gasps> She's giving me the eyes, guys. She's giving me the eyes. I don't know what that means, but I'm Let's talk about, before we do that, let's talk about what we've been up to lately. I got my nose pierced. Yes. Kate got her nose pierced. Yeah. She's like bringing back the vibes. I love it. It's really I did it in such like, because I was getting my chiropractic massage, you know, get my back straight. (laughs) And in the middle of it, on a Thursday afternoon in a work day, I was like, I'm going to get my nose pierced. I'm going to do it. Yeah. So excited. I picked Texas. Yeah. Um, There's and a, I'm sure that there are lots of options for Texas. There were too, a but- ton of options, but I read a book. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, I read. <laughs> I know how to read. I actually read a lot to the point where my Kindle's like, like, here are some fun challenges. Like, like, like I'm a kid. Like it gives me like a summer reading list. And like, I'm like, like I'm, what the fuck are you doing to yeah. me? Like, I, I read I, enough. I make my own decisions. Yeah, like, don't I tell think, me how to live my life. I think they're like, your reading Kindle. list has re- gotten really dark. Yeah. And like, here's some we would stuff. like to encourage some Ellen Hildebrand or some fun summer reads. And I'm like, fuck off. Leave me alone. <laughs> so, I want to read about murder. I want to read about Death. murder. Mystery. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I care about. Well, I'm excited. I don't know anything about it other than you telling me that you had decided against doing what state was it? Kansas. Yeah, Kansas. Because there was at least the case I had found. Right. Yeah. Because that dude. Because it got real dark. It got darker than our podcast will allow for. That yes, to the point where I threw my Kindle across the room when I got to the part. Yeah, I was like, you can murder as many people as you want. Like I'm cool with that. Like I'll I'll read about that all day long. But if you hurt animals, no. No, <laughs> I'm done. If you go, if this, it like the book went into detail and I was like, nope. So bombshell, this is a two-parter. <gasps> Stop. It's not, <laughs> is it? I guess. Because yeah. there's so much research. Oh, Kate, that makes my day. Yes. Yes. I, love I get to do a two-parter. I love a two-parter. And actually I'm shocked at how many people commented that they were super excited about a two-parter. Like, yeah. Lots of my friends messaged and were like, I love a two-parter. Yeah. Keep it coming. So I'm jazzed. And this also means that I have extra time to do research for my next one, which means I might do a two-parter next time. We just oh don't know. God, we we just don't know. We just don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. It's going to be cool. You don't well, I figure with Texas, big state, yeah. probably a big case. Well, this book I read called The Midnight Assassin by Skip Hollinsworth. Okay. He is a journalist for the Texas Monthly, and he does this podcast, and he has the most soothing voice 
I have ever heard. And just like, like because, us, you know, I yeah, hear that all the time. I know. Very breathy. <laughs> no, his is like a Southern accent and like he researches very well. And I saw him on like some random crime show and he wrote a book. I was really excited. I also love the name Skip. Like Skip. Hollinsworth. Like, like I'm sure that's just like a whatever, what's a pen name or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But still, Skip. Yeah. Great name. I, I love think it. it's it's uh short for Charles. I think. Is it? Yeah. Oh. And I happened to read about the same case in another uh, anthology called Chilling Historical Crimes by Tim Huddleston, not to be confused with Tom oh. Hiddleston. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> I was on a pair. At first glance, I was like, holy yeah. fuck. Yeah. This case, I, I don't know why I'm being so suspenseful yeah. about it. but Well, you said it was histor- historical. Historical. So it's an older one? 1884. Oh, yes. I know. You, I love oldies and I, I know. love a two-parter. I know. So 1884, Austin, Texas. Okay. So 1884. So it's post-Civil War. Sure. Slavery's been abolished. But servants, like servitude, is essentially slavery. Very, very similar to slavery. Yeah. So the servant girl annihilator. So before we get into it, I want to give a little background on this. So keep these dates in mind. The servant girl annihilator um, obviously attacked servant girls with an axe. What? Yeah. In 1884. Jack the Ripper in Whitechapel, London was 1888 oh okay Velisca axe murder yes the Velisca in Velisca Iowa was 1912 oh that one's good and the axeman of New Orleans was 1918 to 20 or uh, to uh 1919 um do you have you heard of that one the of axe- the New Orleans one oh yeah I read a whole book on it yeah <gasps> that is creepy yeah he when he was like the doors open and like yeah creep in like a fucking psycho and oh. then he had the paper publish a yeah. note that said everyone i really like jazz yeah. so if you don't want me to kill you play jazz in your house tonight and then no one died. and then yeah and then no one died yeah just, but it was just a giant party like yeah, he just, just wanted to be a little show your show choir could yeah. save lives <laughs> you never know you never know and then the hinter murders hinter kaifek hunt hinter kaifek yeah, you Bavarian bitch. I know. <laughs> you know, I have, uh, I've listened to so many podcasts, yeah. so many true crime books about axe murderers. Yes. Hinter Kaifik murders in Bavaria was in 1922. So theoretically, 1884 to 1922, this could have all been the same guy. <gasps> so, oh. but the likelihood slim to none, but I will say they they have suspected that the servant girl annihilator was the same guy as Jack the Ripper. Really? Yes. But yeah, if you think about it, only four years later yeah, in London, right. and granted, Jack the Ripper didn't use an axe. Like you know, did he? I know that like there was a there were a couple that were super brutal. I don't know if there was they were axe. They could maybe. I, I think they were. I think they suspected a surgeon because they were surgically yeah. perfect. But yeah. um, but this isn't about Jack the Ripper, so I don't know the details to that. So, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, the sick murder fairy tale in my mind yeah. says that this is all the same dude. Yeah. But I doubt it. I doubt that he would have 
you know, gone to London, come back, and then gone to Bavaria. And also, but, that is like, what is that? That's 30 years. Um, it's so, almost 40 years. So that would mean, I mean, if somebody started at 20, let's say, that would be a 60 year. I mean, it's, of course, anything. But possible. life expectancy back then, you're dead by 60. Yeah, 60. So. You're like an old, old man. Yeah, you are very withered. Yeah. <laughs> you are looking good. Your skin is yeah, falling off. The you're bone. not doing so great. Yeah. yeah. I do think there's a possibility that New Orleans could have been Austin. Okay. So I mean, they're the very close. Guy. I mean, I'm not very close, but close enough. You don't just stop. Yeah. So no. I don't, I am not sure, but should we get started? Yes. I want to know. I'm, I'm like dying to yeah. hear about so that. I don't think I've heard this. This book like is massive. Yeah. I highly recommend making the commitment to reading it. It is, it is just, he just does such a good job. You can tell that like. I, I'm obsessed with Skip yeah. Hollinsworth. Skip Hollinsworth, if you're listening. Be our friend. <laughs> be our friend. Be my friend. <laughs> he really is. And his podcast is amazing. And just like, oh, he's just, he's he's incredible. He's to die for. And he's easy on the eyes. To I mean, die he's a silver for. fox. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he has. <laughs> such a dumb. Oh, I'm so yeah. good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Quit being a goober. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, so we'll just get started. Yeah, let's okay. do it. So Jack the Ripper has haunted the imagination, if you will, of the public like no other killer in Forever. Western civilization. Forever. Everyone, Honestly, even if you're not into true crime, you know. You Jack know who Ripper. Jack the Ripper right. is. And movies have been based off of it. I mean, like all, all kinds of slasher films. But beginning in December 1884, Austin, Texas was terrorized by someone equally as vicious and in some ways far more diabolical than London's River. For almost exactly one year, so just one year, and that that puts the number of victims, um, because there were survivors as well, the number of victims really into perspective. For almost exactly one year, the Austin killer crisscrossed the entire city, striking on moonlit nights, using axes, knives, and long steel rods to rip apart women. Yeah. Barf. Barf. <sighs> so this story was treated as one of the greatest American murder mysteries of the late 19th century. It was also the first serial killer on record. Really? Yeah, in the U.S. Interesting. I've literally never heard of this before. That's, That's why I'm which doing is crazy. It. Yeah, because it is faded in, in, into obscurity. Yeah, and I think that these women deserve attention. Yeah, and I mean, we're obviously not going to catch the killer now. Well, maybe we will. Kate. <laughs> you, me, and Skip. <laughs> Skip, yeah. give us a call. <laughs> I would literally quit my job. <laughs> If Skip called me and was, was like, like, hey, I need you. You could do an unpaid internship and just follow me around. And like, I'd be like, deal. Keith, I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> I got stuff to do. Skip needs me. So for the first time on record, an American city was forced to confront a brilliant, brutal monster. That's in Skip's words, who for some unknown reason was driven to murder in an almost ritualistic fashion. One woman after the other. Okay. Baffled Austin police officers, which I read that there were only 12 police officers like in total. Austin. Yeah. Because Austin, keep in mind, was like in 1884 was about, uh, I think when I looked up the census records, it was about 11,000 people. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was the capital city, is the capital city. Yeah. So. Huh. 
you know, Austin was considered to be, you know, an up and coming city. Mm-hmm. So it's December 31st, New Year's Eve, 1884. Tom Chalmers is a 17-year-old staying with his sister and brother-in-law, Mr. and Mrs. William K. Hall. Okay. He's dead asleep. And then he hears this scream, Mr. Tom, for God's sake, do something to help me. Somebody has nearly killed me. It was three o'clock in the morning. Okay. So Walter Spencer, he's the boyfriend of the servant girl who had been working for Mr. and Mrs. William K. Hall which again is Tom's sister and brother-in-law comes staggering into Tom's bedroom, wakes him up from a deep sleep and scares him half to death. Tom lit the kerosene lamp on the table next to his bed. And he was horrified by what the light revealed. This boyfriend had spoken true by the look of him. He had taken the beating of his life. He had five or six deep gashes to his head his face was swollen and disfigured as if pieces of his skull had been knocked out of place and he was absolutely covered in blood. So his girlfriend, Molly, the servant girl, had been working for Mr. and Mrs. William K. Hill, the sister and brother-in-law, for just a month or so. The two oh, okay. of them lived together as common-law man and wife. This is Spencer and Molly. Okay. In a small apartment behind the kitchen. So Tom jumps out of bed and he asks Spencer what had happened to him. The injured man was only able to mutter some semi-coherent thoughts. Oh, shoot. All he claimed to know for certain was that he had woken up in his present condition and Molly was nowhere to be found. Oh, God. So he just woke up covered in blood, probably brain damaged. Yeah. And this... But he knows that Molly's not there oh. and then he just like staggers to the main house for help. Oh. Tom knew Spencer to be an honest and honorable man, but he suspected that he wasn't telling the full truth. He had heard from the hall's other servants that Molly, not Spencer, had a fiery spirit and a ferocious temper. Oh, Before she had come to Austin, her previous employer in Waco had walked in on her threatening to kill her former lover with a broken bottle. She is spicy. Yes. Spicy. Tom wasn't aware of any tension between the couple, but Spencer was something of a meek man. And he had seen Molly boss him around from time to time. He must have done something. This is what Tom thought. He must have done something to anger the girl. And she had lost control of herself and beaten him to the brink of death. Oh, my God. Like, that's what he thinks. He's like, man, she crazy. He's like, I'm just visiting on vacation. (laughs) But from what I've observed. (laughs) She she, nuts. uh, Now... Tom thought he was most likely lying in an effort to keep Molly out of jail. So Tom thinks that Molly lost her shit and beat up her boyfriend and that her boyfriend, who is now likely brain damaged, is saying, I don't know. No, she didn't. Yeah. Tom decided that a lover's quarrel between the servant girl and her boyfriend was none of his concern. So he told Spencer to leave his room and go to the doctor's house and get himself fixed up. So Spencer asked Tom to help him get there. Naturally, he was so weak that he was afraid he might not make it on his own. But Tom refused. What a gem. What a dick. God. 17 year old. Gross. Just a little kid of privilege. Yep, exactly. Just like not much has changed. Yeah, right. But Tom's sister was very ill and he said he didn't feel right leaving the house in the middle of the night in case she might need him. So that kind of makes sense. If there's. I mean, I love sleep, so I'd probably do the same. Yeah, I know. Um, I'd be like, hey, get out of here. You're fine. Uh, Walk it off. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, there were other people at home, including Mr. Hall himself. This is uh, Tom's brother-in-law. Right. And Mrs. Hall's nurse, Nancy. But Walter Spencer was no fool, and he knew better than to argue. 
with the man of the house. Oh, yeah. There was a nurse there. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So Spencer uh, did as he was told and he shuffled out of the room. Poor guy. uh, And out the back door of the house while Tom put out the lamp and went back to bed. God. So in the morning, now we fast forward to the morning. William Hall came downstairs and found that the fires weren't lit and breakfast wasn't on the table, which was very odd. Sure. So as long as Molly had been working for him, she had never once been delinquent in her duties. But after learning of Tom's late night encounter with Spencer, which how much longer in the morning did he like wait to hear this from Tom? Like Tom, was he just sitting there waiting for his breakfast? Like, yeah, he's just like waiting for his breakfast and Tom's having a good lion. Yeah. You know, and like he's just, he comes downstairs and he's like, oh yeah, by the way, your servant girl's boyfriend I came busting into my room at three in the morning and he was covered in blood. I yeah. Go to and it wasn't there. It probably but... wasn't until like the brother-in-law was like, where's, where's yeah. dinner? And he's like, Oh, that's right. Or where's breakfast? Oh, that's right. I, yeah. To... <laughs> Weird thing. Weird. Crazy Weird thing, thing happened last night. Yeah. You're never going to believe me. I just imagine them like cracking into poached eggs. Yeah. Like, or hard boiled <laughs> eggs and like in those little egg cups, yeah. like I know. sitting at a long table, like, I've been watching there wouldn't be too eggs, much though, because period dramas. There wasn't oh, a maid yeah, to put yeah. food and together. A, and a man couldn't hard boil an egg yeah. back then. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know if they can now either. But, yeah. um, actually, Keith makes really good poached eggs. Does he? Yeah, they're, they're better than a restaurant. <laughs> they're so good. So, obviously, this guy did not have a Keith. Mr. Hall just assumed after he heard the story from Tom that Molly must have left town to avoid trouble with the law just as she had done in Waco. Okay. So this poor girl, Molly, like everybody, no, no curiosity at all. We're just like, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, It was obviously her. Yeah. Well, and he's not even like wondering where this guy that lived in the back of his kitchen. Right. They're like, we sent him off to the hospital. He's fine. Yeah. We sent him to find the doctor. I, I don't know. Maybe he'll come back. I don't know. Yeah. Jesus. Like the very laissez-faire about the whole thing. Right. The rest of the morning proceeded as normal, except for, you know, no breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Um, until around nine o'clock when Mr. Hall heard shouts come from the backyard. He rushed outside to see what was going on and he found a neighbor's servant boy uh, standing by the outhouse. Oh, God. The boy had seen something strange laying on the ground and had walked over to investigate, as you do. What he found had had horrified him. It was yeah. Molly Smith. The pretty young girl was lying dead on the ground. Her head cleaved nearly in two. Her blood had soaked into the snow around her, um, staining it dark red. Her nightgown had been ripped to shreds no longer covering much of anything, and her legs were spread wide. A trail led to the back door of the house, indicating, and it was a trail of blood, indicating that Molly had been dragged to where she now lay, half hidden in the tall grass behind the outhouse. So so there's not, like here, it's Austin, Texas, so there's not a ton of snow. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just a dusting, sure. I would imagine. Yeah, no, for um, sure. Mr. Hall followed the trail to Molly's living quarters, so now he's interested. Yeah. And what he found inside the room was nearly as bad as the sight of the girl herself. The apartment had practically been repainted with Molly's blood. Oh, Jesus. It seemed as if there was more blood in the room than there could possibly fit in the human body. There was blood on the bed, soaking the pillows, the linens, and the mattress. There was blood on the floor. 
seeping into the floorboards. No. There was blood spattered across the walls. And worst of all, there was a bloody axe at the foot of the bed. Oh, no. So. So I left the axe. It's always fascinating to me. Like, yeah. did he find it there and just use it there? I, or I know in the case of uh, the New Orleans axeman, he found yeah, it. Yeah, he would always, like, locate axes. And in the case of Velisca, yeah. also he found it, I think the axe ended up belonging to the uh, father's brother yep. or something. So Mr. Hall wasted no time in sending for uh, Austin's marshal, which was a guy named Grooms Lee. Huh. What so, a name. Yeah. Marshall Lee was not the most popular lawman in the state of Texas. So I will tell you why he's unpopular. <laughs> Earlier that year, he had nearly been impeached when it became known that he and the 12 officers who made up Austin's police force Seem to spend most of their time investigating saloons, brothels, and gambling dens. Huh. Whether there had been any crimes reported in the area or not. I wonder what they were doing. Yeah. Huh. I wonder what they Interesting. were doing. Interesting. Riddle me to? this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At best, Lee could be described as unfit. Oh, and many suspected that he was utterly corrupt, but he was <laughs> the son of a powerful local politician. So asking him from his position had proved impossible. When it came to law enforcement, he was all the city of Austin had. Like, he was literally it. Like, him and 12 officers, like, take it or leave it. Yeah. It's not great, but it's something. Lee had seen a murder or two in his time as marshal, but nothing like what had occurred at the Hall's residence. Yeah. I think that's safe to say. No one had. Right. And Axe is just so brutal. That is, I can't think of a worse weapon to use. Oh. The condition of a room indicated there'd been a clearly like a violent struggle. And it was clear that Molly had not gone down without a fight because we've already heard that she was quite the badass. Yeah. She put up a fight when someone's coming after her with an ax. So good for her. Good for her for putting up a fight. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it. If like the, her blood was splattered everywhere, everywhere, that means she was moving around. Yes, exactly. So it's not like, you know, Velisca where, you know, or Lizzie Borden, like where they're just taking a nap or they're yeah. asleep at night and someone just comes in and caves their head in with an ax furniture had been overturned as more evidence that she, she fought back a looking glass had been shattered and there were bloody handprints smeared across the door frame. Jesus. So she probably, I just, all I can picture is this poor woman. I like to imagine that she's fairly swarthy and she's just gripping onto the door, like either trying to hold herself up or keep them from dragging her. Yeah, further. exactly. Like it's horrific. It seemed as though she'd sustained her injuries inside the room and was then dragged outside behind the outhouse where she was raped while dying. Oh my God. Or possibly already dead. I mean, I mean, I mean, there are, there are sick fucks who are into many disgusting things, but can you imagine if she had been pummeled with her body was like in pieces, her head was almost split in half. Yeah. And this person is raping that. Like what on earth is, oh, see, and this I think is a perfect example of how, yes, our, our environment and the media, and I'm sure like the billions of pesticides that we eat in our food now and like you know whatever you want to say the contrails of jets like causes us to have some chemical imbalance in our brain that makes us more susceptible to committing horrendous crimes but this was 1884 yeah people were doing fucked up shit have been doing yes people have been doing fucked up shit 
from the beginning of time. Yeah. It's just now we're a little bit more savvy so we can figure out who is doing it. So while examining the ruin of Molly's body, the marshal, Lee, found a set of wide bare footprints in the snow. Bare footprints? Bare. Wide and bare. Oh, like... Like I don't a, know something like a about troll. Yes, yeah. That's <laughs> what that is like, like. What the fuck? <laughs> right, and like, like a, bare feet. Bare feet. Yeah, it makes you think like this subhuman with these bare feet. It makes you think a Bigfoot or a yeah. stock ape. Like, uh. yeah, it's. So we followed them about a block away to the shore of Shoal Creek, where they simply disappeared. Yeah. Ugh. So this person just walked into the creek, just like. Uh. Let's face it, he doesn't walk though. He <laughs> just like, like lumbers. Like, <laughs> just like I can't walk. Like, he's not wearing shoes. Like, I know. I, that's all we're gonna I hate it. I like, hate like, it. Like a fucking psychotic yeah, hobbit. I, he's out there. <laughs> like he's got he's got proto feet. Yeah. I really hate that part. I that's hate like that my- part too. It creeps me out. It just creeps me out. Although I'm sure bare feet was fairly common among those without a lot of money back then, but it's just wide bare feet. It's just it gives like me the creeps. I know. It gives me the creeps. Yeah, I don't like it's it. It's like a goblin. I'm like, okay, her head was split in half. Okay. But the bare feet. the bare feet. The bare like, feet. Went away from the murder. Like, yeah, like dragging a leg. And yeah. I can't get past that. No. Okay, okay. No. Okay. So the bare feet. Yeah. Went to a creek. Disappeared. And, and there's that. There's that. So then the marshal sent for a tracker. And he brought his uh, pack of bloodhounds led by trusty old George. Oh. I love that part. <laughs> trusty old George the bloodhound. The bloodhound. If there was a scent to be found, old George would certainly Aww. find it. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. Be a so best I. boy. He's a best boy. In the late 19th century, law enforcement had yet to develop much of anything in the way of investigative tactics, which I imagine it had not, even if they had, uh, what they did develop had yet to trickle down to Texas yet. Right. <laughs> you know, there were no blood spatter analysis or DNA tests. And even the science of fingerprinting was still a few years from becoming common practice. Yeah. Um, unless a crime had been witnessed or confessed to, there was little that could be done to find the culprit. So that is interesting. The bloodhounds were essentially the only tools at least disposal. And in this case, the dogs had come up empty. So old George didn't find oh. anything. Yeah. It just disappeared into the water and bloodhounds, I think I read once, and our listeners will have to look it up to get that because I'm not going to. I, don't <laughs> um, I want to say that a dog's sense of smell, like they can smell one rotten apple in like 2,000 tons of apples. Their sense of smell is insane. Like That's it's, wild. Well, and it creeps me out too when my dogs like go in the backyard and then all of a sudden, or we're on a walk and they just lift their head and are like they're smelling something. The air. You're like, what do you smell? Like, do you smell fear? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, do you smell danger? Would you tell me? Like, talk to me. Talk to me. <laughs> and usually it's just another dog yeah. shit. But I, I still get nervous. But I get more nervous when my cat Rosie is at the bottom of the stairs, my devil cat, and it's at the bottom of the, the stairs and she's looking up and nothing. Yeah, and like, she'll sit there for hours. Well, when Mabel did it. And it was a fucking bat. It was a dead bat in your curtains. <laughs> I love I love the image Daddy. of you like coming in and seeing you in a, a hooded sweatshirt pulled, like the strings pulled so tight. I could just see your eyes. And then like oven gloves. Yep. 
And then, like, trying a to get the dead in a bucket, trying to get a well, dead bat. I was like, it might start flying. I didn't know it was dead. Yeah. Was like, it's going to start flying. <laughs> Things are going to get crazy up in here. The shit we do because we're so brave. I know. Like, I'm so brave. I'm so, you're I'm so brave. You are so courageous. You are a hero. <laughs> um, Not all heroes wear capes, Kate. Yeah. Some of them wear hoodies. Oven <laughs> mitts. <laughs> oh my god so um marshall the marshall believed that the most obvious scenario was a variation of what tom chalmers had thought so this was a 17 year old who had been so rudely woken up yeah, and right. went back to sleep perhaps spencer and molly had gotten into an argument that had gotten out of hand again molly's temper was well documented maybe she hit spencer and he fought back and killed her that is a lot of rage. Yeah. Like, and for blood to be literally everywhere. And how can he do that when he's like incapacitated essentially? 90% dead. Right. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. like, like, like he's his brains are coming out. Yeah. Like he's gonna pick up an axe and be like, uh, yeah. yeah. It seemed unlikely for many reasons. By most accounts, the couple was very happy and no one had seen them exchange any angry words. And Walter was such a relaxed, easygoing young man. It was doubtful that he had, or at least they doubted, he had it in him to commit such a violent act as to strike his common law wife with an axe, much less drag her out behind the outhouse and have his way with her body before going back inside to seek help. Exactly. It just seems very unlikely. It's very unlikely. And also remember, he he said when he woke up, he had this head injury and he looked around and Molly was nowhere to be found. Right. So he had no idea where he was. Also, I think it's fair to say with the snow on the ground, if they saw the prince, the wide bare feet, right. and they led away from the murder scene, you would see Walter's footprints and blood and all that stuff too. So I mm-hmm. don't know. I don't, maybe it was so messy you couldn't tell. And the next question that the marshal was asking is where would he have gotten the axe? Where would have Walter gotten the axe? Sure. Um, it didn't belong to the halls. Okay. So it was. No. Okay. And Walter wouldn't have had any money to buy it himself. Okay. Axes were supposedly. I guess expensive. A little pricey. Yeah. I mean, it, um, any tool really is expensive. Lee supposed it could have been stolen, that the axe could have been stolen, but that suggested premeditation. And if Spencer were the murderer, it would surely have been a crime of passion. So there yeah. wouldn't have been oh, premeditation point. involved. Point. Yeah. Okay. Which are all logical yeah, conclusions. These are all- so, so far, you know, Lee doesn't seem like right. that he bad doesn't... of a guy. So Dr. Bart, the man who treated Spencer's wounds. So Spencer made it to the doctor. Okay. When Tom was like, went back to sleep and was like, go find the doctor. Okay. Good for um, him. So the doctor that treated his wounds said that his injuries didn't come from an ax. Um, but seemed to have been inflicted by a rod of iron or steel and that the weapon hadn't been found. What the hell? Yeah. So two different weapons. This caused the law enforcement to ask this question. Why would Spencer have disposed of the tool he'd been attacked with yet leave the murder weapon behind for all to see? So yeah. it just didn't add up. No. Like, like, yeah. I mean, and if Molly if had hit him with a yeah, rod, it would be there. It would be there. Later in the afternoon, after Spencer had more or less regained his senses, so, like, from three in the morning until later in the afternoon, poor this poor guy is like, my girlfriend's been murdered. Right. And he well, probably doesn't even know that at that point. No, probably not. But uh, he's like, I'm fucked up. I, Something yeah. happened, and I don't know what happened to my I don't girlfriend. know what happened. Wouldn't that be terrifying? Yeah. The marshal and, the, and a crime reporter from the Austin Daily Statesman, the local newspaper, interviewed 
uh, Spencer, hoping to gain some new insight. Spencer, still in terrible pain, stated that he and Molly had gone to bed around 9 or 10 in the evening. He mentioned that Molly didn't feel well, and she had asked him to wake her early in the morning, probably to go to work. Okay. Because they didn't have, you know, alarm clocks, cell phones yeah. and stuff back then. Um, they had roosters. How do you think people did wake roosters. up? Roosters. Really? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think on farms, I don't know. Because I'm I'm thinking about like, well, in Downton Abbey, they had, you know, clocks and stuff. And clocks well, and they had Daisy for... go around and knock on people's yeah. doors to wake them up. But this was way earlier than that. And these were the two servants. I, I don't know. I think maybe they just naturally woke up at that time because they always had to. God, can you imagine? You probably wouldn't sleep because no. you'd be waking up. I'm like, is it time? Is it time? Is it yeah. Time? Well, but you were worked to the bone. Yeah. And so you were exhausted. That's true. I don't know. That's a good question. I wonder, because clocks, really clocks have question. been around for a while. Yeah. But you had to afford a clock. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. If anyone finds that out, let us know. So, yeah. So, Spencer did mention that uh, Molly didn't feel well. And the next thing he claimed to remember was waking up injured and finding Molly gone, just as he had told Tom. Ugh. When asked if he knew of anyone that may have wished him and Molly harm, the only name Spencer could come up with was William Lem, as he was known to his friends, Brooks. Lem was Molly's old boyfriend. When she had moved to Austin, he had followed her, and not long ago, he had challenged Spencer to a fight. So the marshal had Lem Brooks arrested because Brooks may have had a solid motive. However, once he was questioned, his guilt became doubtful. So... So he's claimed to have no further quarrel with Molly and denied Spencer's claims that he had wanted to fight him. And he had an alibi. Okay. Um, he said he was at a dance on Sand Hill, nearly two miles from the Hall's house on West Pecan Street. Pecan? Pe- do you say, how do you say it? Pecan? I, I, pecan? I pecan? Either say pecan or pe- pecan. I'll say pecan pie. Pecan. Pecan. I don't know. Pecan. Anyway, pecan. West Nut Street. And several several witnesses had seen him there as late as four o'clock in the morning, an hour after Walter had woken Tom. But Marshall Lee suspected every last one of Lem's witnesses, and he didn't think they were very credible. Okay. So so keep in mind, the murder happened uh, New Year's Eve, so December 31st, 1884. Yep. The next day is when they found... Molly's body had determined that Spencer didn't do it, then went on to find Brooks because he was in the same town. So on New Year's Day, 1885, an inquest was held to decide if there was enough evidence to bring Brooks to trial. So that is how fast it all went. My God. Yeah. The six white men who made up the coroner's jury listened to witness testimony behind closed doors for four straight days. Each day, the press was denied access to the proceedings, and each day they complained about it in the papers. They were probably like, (laughs) God damn it. When the inquest was called to an end, no new information was presented to the public, but it was announced that Lem Brooks would indeed stand trial for the murder of Molly Smith. Oh my God. Yeah, they had no evidence, none. But that's how they did it back then. Jesus, okay. Yeah. By the time the preliminary trial was scheduled, however, Brooks was freed due to lack of evidence. No other suspect was charged. Wow. In Molly's murder. The murder of Molly Smith was only the beginning. Oh God. Um, The capital of Texas had become the hunting ground for a terrifying new type of criminal. Okay, so... Austin was a progressive city and one that was growing very fast. And it was fair to say it was growing 
too fast for its own good. So following the murder of Molly Smith, Austin saw an epidemic of serious and often violent crimes being perpetuated against domestics, which is what they called servants. Servants, okay. Night after night, servants' quarters were broken into and robbed. Rocks were thrown through windows. Death threats were shouted. And Jesus. in the worst cases, women were beaten and raped, which they referred to back then as outraged. Really? Yeah, they called it outraged. If you were raped, you were outraged. That is crazy. Yeah. As the year wore on, the criminals became bolder and bolder. The assaults continued night after night. But the majority of blame fell squarely on the shoulders of Marshall Lee. The marshal did what he could to distance himself from responsibility. So this is when he kind of turns into a douchebag. Yeah. He insisted that the recent criminal activity was the result of Austin's growing pains and that the transition from cattle town to modern city was not without its price. Lee was confident that soon enough, the perpetrators of these burglaries, beatings, and outrages would simply move on to a new city and become someone else's problem. Jesus. Yeah. So let's wait it out. Yeah. That's exactly what he did. By late March, it appeared the marshal was right. Uh, after months of nightly attacks, things finally seemed to calm down and the citizens of Austin had a few weeks of relative peace. But by mid-April, everything had started up again, quickly becoming even worse than before. The one thing that all the victims had in common was they were all servant girls, usually assaulted in cabins or shanties. Hmm. Um, on their employer's property. Since the police were proving to be perfectly useless, the newspapers called for residents to arm themselves and form kind of vigilante groups. Jesus. Yeah. It's always a good idea. So up until this, people aren't being killed, right? No. They're being raped. They're be- and- I mean, I, okay. I, I'm sure there were murders in between okay. uh, January and March, but... Uh, it wasn't associated to... No. At six o'clock in the morning... Of Wednesday, May 6, 1885, Dr. L.B. Johnson left his home on the corner of... L.B.J. L.B.J. Uh, not the same. Yeah, not the same one, to be clear. Yeah. Of Jacinto and Cypress Streets to head to the market, just as he did on most days. Not long after he had left, his wife heard screams coming from the cabin behind their house where their servant... 30-year-old Eliza Shelley lived with her three children. Uh, Mrs. Johnson sent her young niece out to investigate the source of the screams. And the little girl did as her aunt asked and went into the cabin, which. Yeah. Sure. A little kid out yeah. to, to identify the source Why of would screaming. You do that? Jesus. Why? And, and Never a good idea. And it's, it's like, she's like not sending a servant. She's sending, not her that child, a, her niece, a child. And there she found Eliza lying motionless on the floor, her nightdress pulled above her waist. Oh, no. Eliza's, so this is rough. Eliza's eight-year-old son was in the corner of the room, screaming and crying, while his two younger brothers huddled together on the blood-soaked mattress. Oh, babies. Mrs. Johnson's niece went pale with fright, slammed the door shut, and went ran back to her aunt in hysterics, I'm sure. When the girl finally calmed down enough to report what she'd seen, Mrs. Johnson could scarcely believe it and went to the cabin to see the site herself. So then, of course, she came running to the house in terror. When Dr. Johnson returned from the market, he found his wife and niece sitting together in the kitchen. And when he asked them what was going on, his wife just said, I believe, I believe Eliza's been murdered. Okay. So I want to know why she didn't gather up the children and was bring she them in shock? with her. Like what was her deal? I, she must've been. The doctor dropped everything and hurried out to the cabin and he confirmed that Eliza was dead. He knelt down next to the body and examined her. There was a long, deep gash in the woman's head that appeared to have been afflicted with an axe or a hatchet. God, God. 
So the blow had gone clean through her skull. Oh my God. Well, we're talking power, right? Like, yeah, we're with talking a hatchet. Like, that would be, yeah, and with the axe, even. I yeah. mean, my God, yeah, clear through her skull, deep into her brain, and was certainly enough to have killed her. But it wasn't all the woman had suffered. Oh no, she'd also been stabbed above the ear and between the eyes by some long, sharp instrument, perhaps an iron rod. Oh God! So, like the rod that was used, like in- the rod that was used to hit Spencer. Over the head. When the marshal arrived, he, of course, noticed the similarities between Molly and this murder. The weapons used in both the crimes were an axe and a metal rod. Although this time, neither weapon had been left at the scene. There was no axe left at the scene. And there, you know, again, there was no metal rod that they found. Jesus. So both women had been attacked in their sleep. Both of them had been viciously raped. Oh, God. um, Possibly after they were dead. Oh, it's just disturbing. disgusting. This time, however, there's, of course, you know, a witness and like several although, witnesses, right? Well, I think the two were too little. Okay. But the eight year old boy saw the whole thing. Yeah. So he said that he woke up in the middle of the night and found a strange man rummaging around the room. Mm-hmm. Probably with bare white feet. Yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> yeah, feet. Bare white feet. <laughs> When the boy started to cry out, the man told him to be quiet or he'd kill him. Oh, sweet boy. He then asked the boy where his mother kept her money, to which he replied, I don't know. The man mentioned something about going to St. Louis and then shoved the boy in the corner and threw a blanket over him and continued his search. After a while, the boy said he fell asleep, although Dr. Johnson and the marshal suspected that the intruder had knocked him out with some chloroform that had recently been stolen from a dentist's office. Huh. Okay. So they used chloroform at the dentist. Wow. Cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, that'll get you. I think I like that. I think. I hate the dentist. So like, whatever you got to so do to put me down. Like, yeah, put me down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't until the sun came up that the boy discovered what had happened to his mother. And of course, unfortunately, the child wasn't much help when describing the murderer. So he didn't remember if the man was black or white, short or tall, skinny or fat. Interesting. The only detail he seemed to be sure of was that the man had been wearing a white bandana over his face. That is. I mean, that's pretty distinctive. That's like, and it's, if it's white on, in a, in like a dark room. And that right. probably is pretty attention getting. So Dr. Johnson told the police he would do anything within his power to help find the killer. Eliza had been working for him for a long time yeah. and he considered her to be part of the family. He believed her to be a woman of incredible character and he wanted to see her killer brought to justice. He told the marshal that he couldn't imagine robbery had been the true motive, no matter what the man had said to the little boy. If Eliza had any money, it would have been a few cents that she'd saved from her wages. She had no jealous ex-lovers. Her husband was in prison and she was totally devoted to him. Neither the Johnsons nor anyone else who had known Eliza had ever seen her in the company of another man. In spite of how much he wanted to help, Dr. Johnson could give the marshal no names of any suspects to arrest or even question. He, he was just like, there's no one I can think of that would hurt her. She was just a really good woman yeah. trying to you know, work and provide for her children. The only other clue authorities had to go on was this. Again, you're going to hate this. The only other clue authorities had to go on was another set of short, (laughs) broad, bare footprints. God, put some fucking shoes on, man. (laughs) Socks, at least. I mean, God. Leading 
to and from the crowd ah. at the door. Old George the Bloodhound went to work again and again found nothing helpful. Damn it, George. Yeah. Uh, a sheriff's deputy, though, asshole that he was, did happen to find a slow-witted 19-year-old black man and arrested him for the simple fact that he wasn't wearing shoes. That was cool. the only... That was... Now so evidently, no shirt, no shoes will arrest you. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, for murder. And charge you with murder. The footprint did not match his feet, however, and he was quickly released. Well, at least that's... The there, there's that. Yeah, at least yeah. there's that. Thank God he wasn't like a size seven yeah, and they matched right. it to him. So by this point, Austin's black population, because the servant girls were black up to this point, uh, was beginning to feel extremely vulnerable. Uh, yeah. Men were afraid to leave their homes at night out of fear they might come back and find find their wives raped and murdered. Um, The statesmen and other newspapers took full advantage of the public's concerns and printed sensational stories about each and every crime, not sparing a lurid detail. No one had any faith in the people who were supposed to protect them. So they were just like, why would they? Why would they? they?" Honestly, if a deputy is arresting someone purely because of the color of his skin and the fact that he's wearing no shoes... It's like, that's the best you got. That's the best you got. And the guy is like not trusted by the community anyway. Yeah, the marshal. No, he was nearly impeached. Yeah. A week after Eliza's murder, uh, a man named Ike Plummer was arrested due to the particularly damning testimony of a man named Andrew Rogers. Rogers claimed that on the evening before Eliza had been raped and killed, he had seen Plummer ask her for money. When she refused to give him any Plummer walked off, shaking his head, muttering something like, well, you'll be seeing me again. So Rogers also said that he saw what appeared to be the handle of a hatchet sticking out of Plummer's pocket. How convenient. How convenient. And keep in mind, they said the only investigative tools they really had back then were, of course, the bloodhounds, but also witness testimony, uh, eyewitness testimony, and then confessions. Also, a hatchet in your pocket? Hatchets are big. It's not like a pocket knife. No, but it's a smaller axe, and they had pretty big pockets back then. Yes, that's true. But I don't think he saw it. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. I, I don't think he's telling the truth at all. God. I think he's liar, liar, hatchet pants on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Plummer denied every bit of this, and even the newspapers that reported it seemed to suggest that the account was a little too convenient yeah, to be fully right. believed. It was as if Rogers had witnessed everything but the except for the blow that took Eliza Shelley's life. So it sounds like Rogers is a bit of a storyteller. Yeah, that's what it sounds um, like. Perhaps he had a vendetta against Plummer, or maybe the marshal had given him incentive to create the story out of a need to make a solid arrest. Gross. So that's the kind of shit that went down. Fun. They were like, hey, guess what? I'll pay you this right. much money if you say that you saw the guy doing this, and then we can get someone yep. and I look good. Yep, yeah, exactly. Either way, Plummer was... Uh, again, a band with no solid alibi. So he was held for a while on the circumstantial evidence, although he was ultimately re- released. Ugh. So on May 23rd, literally 17 days after Eliza was murdered, yeah. a heavy set, barefooted man <laughs> in a ragged hat and coat entered the two room apartment of servant girl Irene Cross. As he passed through the first room, Irene's uh, nephew woke up and he saw the intruder and started to scream. The man pulled a knife out of his pocket, told the boy to be quiet, and he didn't want to have to hurt him. Like Eliza Shelley's son, the boy wisely did as he was told, and the man moved into the room where Irene slept. Uh. So as he filled the doorway... Oh, that image! The image I have is just this creepy-ass, ogre-like guy... In this bare feet. Without shoes. Without shoes. That poor father shoes so much. 
I know. I just uh, so uh, Irene woke up, of course, and immediately started screaming. The man ordered her to shut her mouth, and when she didn't, he lunged at her with the knife. Irene screamed in pain because this man sliced the flesh of her arm with a cut so deep that it nearly split the limb into two pieces. <gasps> That's terrifying. That is deep. As she's bleeding from a severed artery, he slashed at her again, this time tracing a deep line halfway around the top of her forehead <gasps> as though he intended to scalp her. <gasps> Yeah. Jesus. Irene's screams had gone on long and loud enough that the man must have thought it best that he just make his escape or he's going to risk capture. So he turned and ran out the way he had entered through the nephew's room and out the door. Once he was gone, Irene got out of bed and stumbled from the cabin. The noise had woken up her employers who were called the Whitman family. And they came to the yard and helped the mortally injured woman into the main house. So the police were sent for, and so was a doctor. While the Whitmans futilely tried to contain Irene's bleeding, they asked her if she knew who had assaulted her. She had slipped by that point into a state of nearly catatonic shock from the loss of blood and excruciating pain. And all she was able to do was shake her head no. She had no idea who this guy was. The doctor did not arrive in time and Irene crossed blood to death, becoming the killer's third victim. So that's interesting because it's such a different Uh, type of crime. It's still a woman. It's still a servant girl. But like, but but no axe and no carving at her and like kind of slicing. He just picked up weapons of opportunity. That's very true. Yeah. Keeping with the same pattern that had generated no success at all, the hounds were brought in, several men found in the area were arrested. Get this. So the marshal insisted that African Americans were the focus of the investigation because no white man could possibly have a reason to murder black Jesus Christ. Yeah. But Austin's black population felt that he might have been using the murders as an excuse to run them out of town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. So the arrest of black men had become so common that many resorted to an old slave trick of tying bags of foul smelling herb. Um, it's called asafetida around or asafetida around their ankles in hopes of throwing the dogs off their scent. It's just because they didn't want to get arrested. Right. Yeah. Again, none of the arrests were that were made actually stuck and the public began criticizing the marshal and his police force even more harshly. Like you dudes are grasping at straws. This is getting ridiculous. Once again, the marshal came to his own defense with the same excuses he'd been using for the past six months. He insisted that the trouble wasn't with his competency or the competency of his men. The problem was that Austin had gotten too big and his police force was too small. He's even recorded as saying, how could 12 men be expected to police a town of more than 11,000? I mean, he's not wrong. But you still should do your best and and focus on actual suspects rather than spending your time arresting. I don't know. I think of my hometown and I think of the size of that police force. And there's probably about 12 guys. Maybe there's more now. I don't know. But I, I mean, he's not wrong, but he's also like using that as a he's using the excessive force and he's not using reasonable logic like this right. like he's just again like i said grasping at straws he's absolutely just, as the hot summer months wore on the killings and even the non-lethal attacks seemed to come to an end so so they didn't have any leads they had no leads they had no leads at all jesus christ so austin's problems weren't over by a long shot the worst was still yet to come so oh so. I'm going to cut it off there. Oh, God. Yeah. There's still gross axe shit that's going to happen. Oh, yeah. In, in Texas. In Texas. I can't believe I've never heard of this. 
it's just crazy. Right. Like, well, like all of the other ones that you mentioned, I have heard of. I had not heard, heard of this until I read Skip Collinsworth's books. Good old book. Skip. Till I read Skip's book. <laughs> My good friend Skip. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to like us on Instagram. Follow us. Tell all of your friends. Uh, at premeditated podcast. We love getting emails. We've gotten a couple this week, which is really fun. Um, I also got to shout out my, a couple of my team members, Bridget and Grace have both individually shared with me their love of the podcast, which has been pretty fun. Bridget was uh, doing some home, some home projects and her son was like walking in and out of the house and she was listening to our podcast and he sat down on the couch and just started listening it was one of the episodes where we were just raving about Menards. Yeah. And all of a sudden he goes, you know, mom, I could really go for some gummy bears right now. <laughs> so I thought I love that story. But we also got an email from, from my childhood best friend. She's still my best friend. She's amazing. Yeah. Mav emailed and she gave a solution to the ice cream truck. The ice cream truck You tell dilemma. your kids if the music's playing, that means they're out of ice cream. It's so. brilliant. I used it tonight. Did Thank you? Thank you so much for that tidbit because yes, the ice cream truck has a literally put like my address yeah i see it stop outside your house all the time and and my kid is like mom i want ice cream and i'm like oh you don't have any money Sorry. yeah <laughs> and the guy will just stand there like sit there staring at us it's just it's well yeah it's the worst I mean, he knows he knows how to market his business I he does i mean he's good at it he's, he's good, good at, at what it. he does right he's good at what he does yeah. What does he do? Yeah. <laughs> You're right. That's what does question. he do? That's the question. Yeah. So thanks for the email, Mav. Yeah. And, and we, we love getting emails. So please shoot us over an email at thepremeditatedpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to seeing you next week for part two. Part D. Which is very exciting. So yeah. more murders. More murders. More gruesome murders. But until then, tell, tell your folks, folks we says hi.